2 Peter chapter 3. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written them both. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you, with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen.
Well, well done. We've made it the whole way, almost. So, talk one devoted to... Talk two was devoted to... Talk three devoted to... And talk four is devoted to God's day. So let me pray as I... um. So I teach this passage, let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you um, that there is a great day that we as Christians can be looking forward to. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would um, use me now to preach your word clearly and truthfully, and I pray that we would have hearts ready to hear your word and to get excited about that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, it's amazing how one day in the future can shape how we live in the present. I found this to be particularly, to be particularly true um, when Ruth and I discovered we were going to have our first child. Now, the thought that that day was coming, that a day was coming in which I would step into a new world known as fatherhood, changed my life from that point forward. For example, before of that day, before I knew of that day, I had owned a Hilux, That's the one. Look how blokey that thing is. But after I heard about that day, well, I happily ended up switching it for a Yaris. (laughs) Family friendly. Before I knew of that day, I would watch movies in my spare time. But after that day, my spare time became Gumtree, buying cots, high chairs, and other baby stuff. Before that day, Ruth and I would drive over to Heidelberg to grab dinner. After that day, Ruth and I would drive over to Heidelberg for pregnancy classes. See, knowing that day changed things. And finally, the day arrived on the 15th of February, 2014, at 10.20 a.m., the moment I met Camille. Now, you see, in the lead-up to that day, I had started to operate with a new mindset, a mindset that said, I am living this day in light of that day. Now, the reality is that that was a big day in our lives, and maybe a couple of you have experienced a day like that, but I assume many of you haven't. But in our passage this morning, we read about a day that actually affects all of us, a day that's far more important than the birth of a first child. This is the day when Jesus Christ returns and brings on the new heavens and the new earth. Whether you're a Christian or not, this day affects you. And it's a day that we all need to be prepared for. You see, at one level, if we weren't prepared for the arrival of Camille, right, if I had just kept my ute, if I didn't buy any of the baby stuff, that day still would have come regardless. Now, it would have been a bit stressful, like we would have been having to have been buying things with a new baby and people were getting stressed, but we would have coped. It wouldn't have been the end of the world. But you see, with this day... It is literally the end of the world. Peter wants us to be ready for it 
and to live in light of it. Now, there are three big things um, Peter wants us to know about this day. Firstly, that it will be mocked, but second, that it is a certain day. And third, that we are to live in light of that day. So let's begin by looking at how Peter prepares his readers for the reality that God's day will be mocked. In verses 1 to 4, Peter begins this section by stressing to his readers that they must be people who are living this day in light of that day. That's why he tells us he writes this second letter, verse 1, to remind them to be godly as they wait for that day. He wants them to recall, verse 2, the words spoken about this day in the prophets and the command of the Lord Jesus himself made through the apostles. Peter is telling us that this day is important and we need to know about it. Okay, so what exactly do we need to know about this day? Well, the first thing Peter wants us to know is that this day, God's day, is a day that's going to be mocked and scoffed at. You guys, he says, are going to be humiliated for believing in this day. You'll be made to look like fools for holding on to that promise. And some, you can imagine some of the jabs, right, uh, that we might experience, uh, that they may have experienced. They might have thought, you know, they might have heard people saying, you're not still believing in those so-called apostles, are you? Now, if Jesus was supposed to return, where is he? I mean, it's been 30 years since he apparently made that promise. And from what we see, things just seem to be ticking along as normal. I think you guys just need to stop worrying and just, and just lighten up a bit in life. Stop worrying about this idea of a final judgment and just relax. See, look at what's actually being said in verses 3 and 4. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised, ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Now, here's the thing, right? If people were scoffing 30 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, how much more do you think they're going to be scoffing 2,000 years after he ascended to heaven and still hasn't returned? It's not just 30 years, it's now 2,000. How much more will people mock us and scoff at this teaching? You know, think of what some people might say. You don't actually believe that a possibly non-existent Jew who lived 2,000 years ago is actually alive in heaven and is going to come back to earth, you don't actually believe that though, do you? That's ridiculous. Now, a classic example of someone uh, who scoffed at the idea of a return and a final judgment was Kerry Packer. Now, some of you, I assume, know who Kerry Packer is. For many years, Kerry Packer was Australia's richest man. And in 1990, Kerry Packer, whilst playing polo, 
suffered a heart attack that left him clinically dead for six minutes. Now, he was revived by paramedics and then he was flown to St. Vincent's Hospital uh, for further treatment in Sydney. But in a press conference following that episode, he said that, I've been to the other side. And let me tell you, son, there's nothing there. There's no one waiting for you. There's no one to judge you. So you can do what you like. Now, is Kerry Packer right? I mean, he was the richest man in Australia. You don't just become rich, uh, the richest man by being a dummy, do you? No judge waiting for you. Do what you like. And I mean, that was the message of the false teachers in Peter's day. They just gave it a Christian label. No return. No future judgment. Do what you like. And so many people in our world actually live by that kind of attitude. But will you? Will you listen to what Kerry Packer said at the, off the back of a six-minute episode of heart failure? Or will you listen to the command given by our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who wasn't just dead for six minutes or had six-minute heart failure, but was dead for three days and then came back to life. Who are you going to ground your eternity in? Well, in the next section, Peter gives us four reasons to ground our eternity in Jesus and in his promise to return. To live this day in light of that day. So let's consider the next point. This is a day that is absolutely certain. Now, as I just mentioned, Peter has four things he wants to say to his readers that proves how certain God's day is amidst all this scoffing. I've grouped them under four headings uh, that kind of try to sum them up. Uh, firstly, God's mouth. God's words are powerful. God's eyes, how he sees time. God's heart, his purpose behind the delay. And God's fist, a final warning of his judgment. So firstly, God's mouth, verses 5 to 7. Peter is telling us that history shows us that the word that comes from God is a force to be reckoned with. You see, God's word brought forth two of the most cosmic events of all time. Peter says the creation of the world, God's word brought that into beginning. But secondly, the destruction of the world with the flood. God's word brought that into being. And so why would we doubt the power of God's word to bring about the next cosmic event, the return of Jesus at the final judgment? You see, these scoffers weren't just overlooking those two examples, though. Peter says they actually deliberately forget them. You see, our sinful hearts have an amazing capacity to deny reality so long as it means we can still live on our terms. Look at what Peter says in verses 5 to 7. But they deliberately forget that long ago by God's word the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed 
By that same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now, um, as I assume many of you know, Ruth is currently pregnant again. She's uh, had a doctor with years of experience proclaim that she is pregnant based off all the tests. This doctor has been given an ultrasound showing that she is pregnant. But imagine if some clown came up to Ruth and just told her, you're not pregnant. Well, who, you, well, who will you believe, the doctor or the clown? Peter is telling us here to believe God over the clowns. His word is always proved true. History backs it up. But secondly, God's eyes. You see, scoffers look at time with human eyes, but Christians are to look at time through God's eyes. You see, scoffers, they see 2,000 years, right, as evidence that God's day is a lie. But Christians are to remember that God operates on a different plane. He isn't constrained by time like we are. He's not feeling the pressure. He created time. He's beyond time. Look at what Peter writes in verse 8. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like, what, two days? A week? No, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. God's perspective on time is much different from our perspective on time. And I think you get a bit of a glimpse of this difference in perspective at a human level with kids. So if you take your kids uh, on a trip that's an hour away, we go visit my parents in Mornington, an hour drive away from Bundura, but like 20 minutes into this trip, the kids are saying from the back seat, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And you see, where Ruth and I see that hour is kind of nothing in the grand scheme of the day. For the kids, the car ride is just this endless duration of time that has to be met with endless and incessant moaning. Two perspectives on time, two perspectives on the one duration of time. Peter is telling us not to let our perspective on time be confused for God's perspective on time. The time between when Jesus first came and his second coming, that's just but a short drive for God. We just need to be patient and trust him as we sit in the back seat because we will reach our destination. But thirdly, God's heart. You see, there's a reason behind this delay. The reason God is delaying the return of Jesus is not because he's slack or because he's fallen asleep at the wheel. No, God delays this day because of his great mercy and his grace. You see, God still wants more people to repent and come into his kingdom. Look at verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, 
not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Peter says that again in verse 15, doesn't he? Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means that he's fallen asleep at the wheel, that he's distracted. No, it means salvation. I remember teaching Sunday youth um, at Bundy a number of years ago when we were in the hall. And on one occasion, I was explaining uh, this concept of like God's judgment. We were looking at um, the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. Now, there was a girl in the group who had been brought uh, by another friend. She lived in the community near the church. Uh, she wasn't from a Christian home or anything. And at one point, she just stopped uh, the study and just said, whoa, 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 everyone hold up here. You don't actually have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven, right? Well, yes, that's what the Bible tells us, that we need to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus to forgive our sins and he'll, God will accept us, we'll go to heaven. Well, if that's the case, though, pretty much everyone in my high school is going to hell. Now, what do you say to something like that? Because that is a question that people will ask. Well, that is a moment where I think you need to go back to God's heart as it's revealed here. Yes, it's sad to think about your school friends. It's sad to think that people come under God's judgment. But isn't it good that we live in a time of God's grace and his mercy? Isn't it good that God is still giving people who reject him time to believe in Jesus and receive eternal life? You see, instead of thinking God is slack and not keeping his word, we should be thanking God that there is still, that we still live in a day of mercy, that the day of judgment hasn't actually come yet. And that leads us on to our fourth point that Peter raises, God's fist. You see, Peter's fourth point in this section is actually more of a warning as before. God's day of wrath will come suddenly. Like a thief in the night, as Jesus taught, it will be a day in which everything will be laid bare in God's judgment. All will stand before Jesus on that day. Look at what Peter says in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be, and, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Peter goes on to say something similar in verse 12. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. Peter's final point here gets us to ask the question, am I ready for that certain day? On that day when the firestorm comes, will I be one who is trusting in Jesus, kept safe in his arms, carried into his eternal kingdom, or will I be one who has scoffed, who has rejected him, who has mocked the promises that he has given and carried into judgment? Peter doesn't want his readers to be shaken in their faith by mockers 
or by false teachers. He wants them to keep trusting Jesus and eagerly awaiting that day when he will raise them to eternal paradise. He wants them to long for that day and to live in light of it now, which actually brings us to his third point, a day that is lived out. You see, Peter wants his readers to live godly lives in this day as they keep their eyes fixed on that day. See, look at what he writes at the start of verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this day, what kind of people ought you to be? Or should we just sit back and wait for the new heavens and the earth to roll on? No, says Peter, you ought to live holy and godly lives, verse 11. And notice that we live lives not because we're terrified of God's day, but because we're looking forward to that day. It is a day of judgment for those who reject Christ, but for those who trust Jesus, it's a day of salvation, a day when death has vanished, misery is gone, and sin no longer has any part in our lives. See, look at, verses, uh, look at verse 12. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, verse 14, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. You see, Christians are supposed to be people who say, I can't wait for that day. I'm excited about it. I trust God when he says that day is coming. I trust him and therefore I want to live his good way. I want that day to shape my life today. If I belong to a day of righteousness, then I want righteousness to be a hallmark of my life now. Uh, Cammy's featured pretty prominently in this sermon by way of illustration, so we'll keep it rolling. What I love about Camille is how enthusiastic she is. For example, if she knows that in the afternoon we're going to be going to the pool, she's going to be in pool zone for the rest of the day. Sometimes she'll eat breakfast in her bathers, even though we're not leaving for another six hours. She'll ask questions about the pool. She'll practice jumping into the water in the backyard. She'll sometimes want to phone up grandma and grandpa, tell them about the pool. See, even though Cammy has to wait for hours, she'll spend the day with pool on her brain. And that's the kind of attitude Peter says Christians ought to have for God's day. He wants us to live in this day in light of that day. That will be a day free from sin. So let's start putting sin to death now. That will be a day where relationships are marked by pure love. So let's get excited about loving each other well now. That will be a day of salvation for all who trust Jesus. So let's get excited about that now and start telling people who don't know about him of that day. We are meant to get excited about that day. We are meant to live this day in light of that day. 
But just think, right? Just think about Cammy and the pool for a minute again. Imagine if that long period of six hours while she was waiting, the little boy Brandon from next door, he pops his head up while she's practicing her jumps in the backyard. He pops his head up and says, Camille, there actually is no trip to the pool. Turn on the sprinkler because that's as good as it's going to get. And imagine if Camille bought it. Imagine if she so believed this little boy over her own parents. So much so that she refused to get in the car when we were saying it's pool time. How sad would that be, right? Well, you see, Peter says that's the kind of danger that we need to be aware of, that we need to be on guard against as we wait for that day to come. You see, there will always be people who will twist God's word. There's always going to be people who will make us doubt that good promise. But Peter tells us here, and sorry, Peter tells us that's what actually was happening in his day. And he gives us an example with Paul's writings, doesn't he? Look at what he writes in verse 16. Paul writes the same way in all his letters. He's saying what I'm saying, says Peter. Speaking in them of these matters, talking about the second coming. Oh, his letters contain some things that are hard to understand. Yes, we get that. Which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. You see, when it comes to God's day, people will distort the teaching of scripture. They will tell us that we should live for this day. Because that day ain't coming. I'm warning you now so that when you hear it, you won't buy it, says Peter. Look at verse 17. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position. Be on your guard, says Peter. Keep trusting in the word of God, which is sure. Don't just live for this world, but be people who grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. God's day will be mocked, but God's day is certain and we are to live in light of it. So how can we do that? Well, I think this passage calls us to do two things. Keep one eye on that day and one eye on this day. One eye on that day, one eye on this day. So first, we're to keep one eye on that day. Uh, Some of you might know of Jonathan Edwards. He was one of the great preachers during the Great Awakening in the United States in the early 18th century. Now, the Great Awakening was a period in uh, church history in which countless thousands of people were coming to hear the gospel and find salvation in the Lord Jesus through faith and repentance. And you see, what was Jonathan Edwards' 
prayer throughout this whole time. What's up there? Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. You see, Jonathan Edwards wanted to live with eternity on his mind. He wanted to go through life with God's day always before him. And that's what he wanted for his for the citizens in the colonies too. He wanted them to look beyond the temporary concerns of this life, where I'm going to be working in five years' time, how I'm investing my money, where I'm going to take my next holiday. He wanted them to look beyond those temporal things into the vast expanse of eternity. Will I spend that expanse of time with God in his kingdom or without God in his judgment? He wanted them to consider the joy of knowing that Christ would welcome you into his eternal kingdom, that you would be with him forever. He wanted that to shape them and he wanted it to change them. You see, we need to be like that. We need to keep that day and eternity always stamped on our eyeballs. We need to keep longing for that day when everything that is wrong with this world will be made right. Think about it. That day, sin will vanish. That day, no more weeping. No more tears. Look, having a new baby, that was great. But let me tell you, there have been plenty of tears since then. Think about it. The pain you now experience on that day is gone. The loneliness you now experience on that day is gone. Just let that sink in for a moment. Lord, stamp that day, stamp eternity on our eyeballs. And see, we need to be reminding each other of that day. And we talked about it a little bit last night, about how some of us are feeling a little bit like flat as a congregation, lots of transition happening all the time. A lot of people have moved into the morning congregation. We feel the grief of loss of relationships. But I wonder whether one of the ways we can restore some of our energy, some of our zeal, is to actually just get back to these basic things, reminding one another that we're on track to this day, that there is a reason to get excited and serve and evangelize because that day is ours. Now, I saw a great example of um, encouraging one another of that day in the growth group I lead at Surrey Hills recently. Uh, during one of the studies uh, that we're looking at that tapped into this day of God in Romans 13, uh, during one of the studies, one of the guys in the group kind of mentioned during the prayer time that he was just feeling a bit flat because he had to get up so early every morning to go to his new job. And just to encourage him, another guy in the group said this, look, I, can I just encourage you, as you get out and into your car each morning, as you watch the sun rise, to think about the day of the Lord in those moments. 
You see, perhaps you could do this. As you witness the light of the new day dawning, why don't you try and remember how awesome it will be like when God's day of light dawns on that day and you remember in those moments that you belong to that day of light. And I just thought, I was just going to say, oh, that sounds tough. Here's a guy encouraging him with the day of God. And we need to be like that. We need to encourage one another to think about God's day, to keep one eye on it. But we also need to keep one eye on this day. Um, In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis critiques that suggestion of some that Christians are just so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good. Got our mind always in heaven. We don't care about what happens here. But he makes such a stunning point. Listen to this. A continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do, it does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for this present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they've become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. So what will it look like on earth for us to be aiming at heaven? Well, Peter has said that it will mean godliness, as we've been thinking about this week. We long for that day of righteousness, and therefore we live out this day in righteousness. We keep growing in all the characteristics that Peter talked about back in chapter 1. But it also changes how we think about people who don't follow Jesus. You see, if we know that God's day will mean salvation for those who trust Jesus, by, um, who trust Jesus, but judgment for those who don't trust him, well, that changes the way we think about our time in this day, doesn't it? Uh, the other day at church, I listened to a girl give her testimony, I think because she was becoming a member. And one of the things I loved when I listened to this girl's testimony was to hear how she so wanted others to hear about Jesus and find salvation. You see, this girl spoke about how her non-Christian mother wanted to know, right, what she could give her for her birthday. And what did Mally ask for? Well, what she asked for... What she asked for from her mother was that her mother would give 
her mother's time to doing a six-week course in sibling Christianity. That's what I want for my birthday, Mum. Can you do this course with me? And her mum did it. And you see, it's that sort of attitude that puts even birthday presents second to God's day. That's the sort of thing that says, I'm living for this day in light of that day. Now, just in conclusion, I'll share with you just a, a quick story from my old job. Um, a number of years ago, I worked uh, at Victoria Parade Eye Consultants in the city as an orthoptist. And we would occasionally go out for lunch together. And um, we're out this one time, and one of the workmates I had, Sally, uh, we would occasionally talk together about God. And she was always quite intrigued about my faith and my lifestyle as a Christian. And we got onto the topic of God during this lunch. And what was the question that she had for me that day? It was this, Chris, imagine if you were to die right now. And imagine that on the other side of death is absolutely nothing. How would you feel knowing your whole life had been a waste? And that's a pretty big question, isn't it? Because if that were true... I would feel like the biggest sucker ever. I felt feel like a total fool for putting my trust in Jesus. But Peter has shown us that it's not a waste to live this day in light of that day because that day is certain. It's never a waste to be vo- devoted to God's way It's never a waste to be devoted to God's word. It's never a waste to heed and to be devoted to God's warning. And it's never a waste to be devoted to God's day. As we leave camp, let us be people who live this day in light of that day. Let's be devoted, not deceived. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that that day is certain. Lord, it's so easy to get uh, lost and overwhelmed in the frustrations and struggles and stresses of this world. It's so easy to be distracted by the pleasures and entertainments And when life is going well, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on that day. May it so change us, Lord, that we become people who love one another, who long for the righteousness that is to come on that day in fullness, that we so want to live it out now. Father, we need your grace and we need your help with this. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.